This is For the Neighborhoods and Nations, a podcast of the Church of the United Brethren in Christ. My name is Brian Biedenbach, and I'm here with Bishop Todd Fetters. Hey, Brian. For this first season of the podcast, we're diving into a series of conversations focused on the eight core values that serve to define and unite United Brethren churches around the world. In today's conversation, we'll discuss the first and most foundational of those core values, adherence to the confession of faith. Let's jump right in. Todd, welcome back. Brian, thanks. Thanks for having me in here and for hosting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Remind us what this podcast is all about and why now. Well, let me go back to, uh, it's called For the Neighborhoods and the Nations. And and, uh, the United Brethren in Christ have always been passionate about uh, bringing the gospel to bear uh, in the places where we live, work, and play as well as making sure the gospel is reaching the nations. And so uh, I love the title that that we've come up with on that. And why now? Uh, why are we focusing on the core values? Um, because I've been thinking about them for a while. And, um, you know, and the opportunity that I have to, to serve our denomination in, in the capacity as, as bishop, uh, I'm always looking at, through the lenses of you know, uh, how effective are we with the the enduring commitment given to us by our earliest founders, our enduring commitment of the gospel? You know, are there, are there ways in which, you know, I, I want to make sure there's no gospel dilution, right? Sure. Same with, with unity. I want to make sure that, that we're, we're focused on being united in Christ and that there's no threat of, of division in, in that. Yeah, and then when it comes to mission, that there's no distraction that we have to entertain, you know, some shadow mission that might be coming. So I'm always looking at through the lens of gospel unity and mission, and I think our core values flow out of those and give us a, an ethos and a culture to, to that that is actually going on, or even something that we could and should aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And we've, we've recorded one episode so far and we kind of did kind of a high level overview of the core value. So if you missed that, we'll link it in the description, go back and, and listen to that. If you want to know where they came from, how they came into existence and all of that today, we're going to start with that first core value that we want to clarify this. We'll give the statement, the summary statement that says we adhere to the confession of faith. But as you mentioned in a previous episode, there's a whole paragraph that explains what that means and why. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we'll link that in the description as well if you want to read that as we go along today. So um, let's start with that, the confession of faith. What is it and what does it state? Well, the confession of faith, um, using the language of our communications director, Steve Denny, it's the line in the sand. Mm. Uh, and it's been a line in the sand for a really, really, really long time. <laughs> and and you can just imagine, I mean, we're, we're a denomination that started, you know, in, in 1767 on Pentecost Sunday in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's where we get our roots. So we've been around for 255 years. And so... With that, our confession of faith essentially has been with us since 1815. Okay. It has some roots before that in, uh, I think we trace it back to 1789. Okay. Our earliest founder, Philip uh, Otterbein, uh, was pastor of Howard's Hill Church in Baltimore, and uh, uh, he, was, he was an intellectual, he was an academic, very learned man very respected in that regard. And from what I understand, our confession of faith that we operate with today 
would have its antecedent would have been what Otterbein was using at Howard's Hill. Okay. And uh, so I guess in a sense, right? It was it was birthed out of a local church. How about that? And that's that? pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, birthed out of a local church and being and being lived out in our local churches as well. So uh, our confession of faith uh, has some history to it. In fact, I was I was uh, looking at a uh, uh, in in the books that I have in my office. I picked up a 1913 conf- um, discipline. Okay, and uh, you know on on page 15 and 16 is our confession of faith. Yeah, and it reads the exact same then as it does today, uh, as um, it did in 1815, 100 years before that. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So uh, so I'm really encouraged to. To, to think, uh, you know, for, for that many years, United Brethren, brothers and sisters have uh, have signed on, so to speak, yeah. with this particular confession of faith that also follows, for those that might be interested, it kind of follows the pattern of, of, of the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. So the confession of faith is fairly concise uh, as far as you know the documents go uh, the, of things that unite our church, but I think it's really focused and really intentional. So can you walk us through what our confession states? I will. Um, there's basically there are seven categories in which we are understanding our, our doctrinal unity. The first one is the, that we believe in the triune God. And so I, what I love about that right out of the gate is we're Orthodox. Right, mm-hmm. we're not Unitarian. Yeah, we believe in the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in essence and being. And so that's that's very very important coming out of the gate, yeah. particularly in these days. We have a statement in here that we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son. And so there's where we address all the important details about who Jesus is as the Son of God pre-incarnate, incarnate, post-incarnate, if that's even a word, but, you know, <laughs> he's with the Father in heaven today, he was virgin-born, mediator of the whole human race, suffered, died, rose again, buried, rose again, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, will come to judge on the last day, the quick and the dead. And so, again, very, very orthodox. Third, we believe the Holy Spirit, comforter, and guide. Uh, and that's a very simple statement. I, I'll read that one. We believe in the Holy Ghost, that he is equal in being with the Father and the Son, and that he comforts the faithful and guides them into all truth. Yeah. Uh, next, we believe in the church, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Uh, we believe in the Holy Bible and salvation. We believe in the Old and New Testaments, that they are the Word of God. They contain the only true way to our salvation. Every true Christian is bound to acknowledge and receive it with influence of the Spirit of God as the only rule and guide that without faith in Jesus Christ, true repentance, forgiveness of sins, and following after Christ, no one can be a true Christian. Next after that, uh, we believe in the salvation message, and there's where we address the issue of the fall and Adam and redemption through Christ. Uh, this is the message we believe strongly needs to be preached yeah. um, and proclaimed. And then we conclude with a statement on uh, the fact that we believe in the Christian ordinances. And um, primarily, there's two there, and that is baptism and communion, or as we've articulated it, the remembrance of the sufferings of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, these are to be practices practices in our local churches and um 
that is consistent with what Jesus has asked us to do. Mm. Uh, we do have a statement in here regarding uh, foot washing that generally is not practiced in our local churches, sure. and I think we've we've taken that from a standpoint of that that is left to more the judgment. Uh, of the local church, the preference of the local church, the desires of the local church to live that. It's not something that is that is forced upon uh, believers to, to do. But primarily what you would see in a United Brethren Church is regular observances of baptism and, um, and communion. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about as we... This is a concise statement. It's a concise document for sure. And it's the doctrinally what unites us as a group of denominations around the world, but here in the United States, the United Brethren in Christ denomination, USA. The core value that ties us to this, though, is adherence to this confession of faith. Talk to us about the word adherence. Mm -hmm. I think that's a significant choice uh, of word for that core value. Yeah. So again, I I wasn't on the committee or around when when they were selecting the words. That'd be an interesting conversation. Why did you choose the word adhere? Yeah. But if I look in the if I look, you know, online at a dictionary or I open up one, you know, kind of like tap your way to it or turn your way to it, depending if it's digital or print. <laughs> what I find is that that there's really kind of two two nuances, two definitions. And and one has to do with the you know, a a set of principles or beliefs that are that a group connects themselves to. Okay. I love the word, you know, and in that sense, they adhere to these beliefs and uh, beliefs and, and principles. The very simple definition is that, that, uh, it's, it's simple's good for people, right? It's something, <laughs> it's something that's sticky, you know, yeah. or to stick to. And when I sit there and I think about that word adherence and, and our confession of faith, you know, I guess on a very, on a very folksy sort of way, it's like, yeah, we we have stuck to the confession of faith since 1815 and, and its antecedent before that. But my real hope, you know, and my real prayer, my real desire is that it sticks to us. Yeah. And and so something that adheres, something that that fastens to something that we hold fast to and holds fast to us. That's a good definition, a good insight of the word adhere. I love that it's something that we stick to as a group of people, but it's something that sticks to us as well. Um, That's a good word picture. Uh, Why is this a starting point for the rest of these core values then? Well, I think it it becomes that starting point because this is this is again using Steve's language. This is the line in the sand. This is what we believe. This is what 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 we believe doctrinally unites us together as a united brethren people, committed to living out our faith in Christ as united brethren people, committing ourselves to being united, living mm. relationally together as. United Brethren people and being on mission together as United Brethren people. This is this is what is 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 moving us. And what's also interesting about this is that when you look at a document like this, there are much longer confessions of faiths. Yeah. You know, uh, we're part of National Association of Evangelicals, and it's a, it's a longer confession of faith or a statement of, of belief. Uh, other denominations, uh, my son my son is in Indianapolis and starting to look for a church of his own. 
And we just got into an interaction the other night of, hey, Dad, here are the core beliefs from this particular church. And I sent him our statement, yeah. uh, our confession of faith, and said, well, hey, this is what you've grown up in. This is a great place to start to compare. And what you find is that, yeah, ours, it, it, it lines up. They just have some other other doctrines that they believe are important for their local churches yeah. and their people to be committed to. So so what's what's... What I appreciate is that conciseness, that brevity, and 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 it and what it allows, I think, harkens back to our original early days, is that you had a group of of pastors and people who didn't necessarily come out of the same denomination. Yeah, and and this is the document that united them. And and so it it's in that sense I think it's very inviting, yeah. Um, and and you can find yourself there, and you can actually connect with other people that maybe you don't line up with exactly on every particular doctrine, considering it as like primary and essential. Right. You believe in it, and you believe deeply in it. But when it comes to that line in the sand, what are the things that we have to agree on? We've kept it to these seven. Okay. And so, that seems to have held us together for 255 years. Yeah. So, you know, this might take us down another road. We don't need to go right now, but we hear these terms and we're aware of the what we, what's being called the great sort that's happening right now and has been happening maybe for the last couple of years that seems to be more of a sociological phenomenon and is impacting the church, I think, along more along ideological lines. Like, I, I vote this way, I think this way, on this issue or that issue. So we're sorting based on our ideologies. You had mentioned, as we were talking about this, that this document, the Confession of Faith, was a great sort of sorts in its day. Talk us through that a little bit. When you you think of our earliest founders of Otterbein and Baim and the the people that were coming to great meetings there was this this revival that was happening yeah jesus was changing lives the gospel was being preached the holy spirit was moving uh, in and among people and um and so this band this movement began of united brethren in christ as i understand it and you know we get to several conferences over years mm-hmm. and by 1789 there's a sense that that we need a document we need something that that pulls us you know that we can say hey this is what we believe so i you know it makes me think that as as you had otterbein bame wrestling with the religiosity of their day yeah moving people toward a live, experiential, vibrant faith in Jesus, not just a religious practice, duty, function to the church, mm. calling them back to Jesus. I like, our, I like our confession of faith in that sense as a document that was a theological sorting. This is what we're for. Yeah. This is what brings us together. This is what we agree on as individuals coming, as believers coming from maybe different Protestant faith traditions, this is what we can agree on. This is what we're for. And this is what brings us joy together in our relationship. Mm. This is what brings us good fellowship. 
and and also as we identify around these seven articles, not only do we have vibrancy of faith and relational uh, unity, but we also have some marching orders on how to engage missionally right. in our culture. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think that's great insight. Uh, when I first heard you share that, that was enlightening to me in that sense. And that there's a big difference between theological sorting and ideological sorting, right, that we're maybe experiencing today. So how can a document like this, our confession of faith, that was intended as a type of sort, this is what we can rally around together, how can that potentially even be a safeguard in the culture that we're living in and the the great sort, or however you want to call it, and the potential insidious nature of that that could potentially divide churches? Well, let's remind ourselves, this is, this is what we believe hmm. theologically that holds United Brethren together from, as I said last time, Huntington to Hong Kong, right? right? From, from uh, Sunfield, Michigan to Sierra Leone, West Africa. So that's, that's one thing, just to, mm-hmm. to understand that uh, our confession of faith um, has served that purpose for, for 255 years. I think another one is that it allows us a filter to understand what is important mm. in uniting us. And so these things that, that might be ideological and might be good, we, we need to, you know, we need to sort of maybe in some ways compare them to this document. Sure. And just see how they read in light of the document, in light of what Jesus is saying. So, you know, I, I just am a, a, um, a strong advocate for this being a filter for making good decisions. Yeah, that's good. On our commitments to the gospel, unity, and mission. That's good. That's good. Todd, how can our pastors, leaders, and churches more actively engage in yeah. this core value of adherence to the confession of faith? What does that look like in our local churches and our maybe even our personal lives? Can can I can I even take it to a level different than that? You sure can. Um because, you know, one of the things that that You're the boss. Well, one of the things that I've loved to do, and I stumbled on it in 2019, is and and put it into play in our national conference in 19 and our national conference in 2021, Mm -hmm. is I put it in front of us during our business session, and we read it together in unison. Yep. And I love hearing our United Brethren people speak Mm. in these terms of this is what we agree this is our confession, and we agree on these things. Uh, that That's so encouraging to mm. me. You know, I think there, there was a time in UB history that pastors had a duty to read the whole discipline to people in their congregations. Wow. I don't know that we—once a year, right? I don't know that—I'm pretty sure I never practiced it in my 24 <laughs> years of, of, of uh, ministry, but what would it look like to— um, Recite the confession of faith in a, in a service or an article of that over the period of seven weeks. Uh, I know I, I appreciated it when our pastor uh, Jason Carter at College Park uh, did a series mm-hmm. on the confession of faith, and you know highlighted those each of those articles, and then and then preached a sermon um, around that. And uh, so that's I think something that that can be done. And then I think just you know. Pick it up and, and uh, you know, for a, a month of Sundays or a month of whatever. Yeah. Read through 
And and again, maybe like with the core values, if if individuals did that last week and read through them, you know, think about, uh, you know, is this what I believe? Yeah. Because I think it's helpful for us periodically to sit down and, and say, this is what I believe. Yeah. And and not just in my head, you know, this is what I believe about Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. Okay. Intellectually. <laughs> great. Hey, I know where he is, Brian. Yep. <laughs> what does that mean? But what does it mean? And when you start to play in to a couple things there, right? You start reflecting. He sits at the right hand of God. Uh, Romans tells us he's... He's interceding for us. Mm. He's he's actively engaged. He's 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 praying for us, mm. mentioning us to the Father. I, I think of the passage that says we are seated with Him. Man, that can take your mind in some crazy places. Mm-hmm. But if Jesus is seated in the, uh, you know, in the heavens at the right hand of God, and we're seated with Him, there's some certainty there that can help with our identity, help with our struggles, help with our doubts. And and, yeah. uh, and so I think... I think Is it bad, I, before you move on, is it bad that my brain goes to the argument with John, James and John about who's going to sit at Jesus right and left? Like, they understood what that meant, and they wanted those seats, right? right. Um, you're talking about it's the assurance for us, and I'm talking about <laughs> who gets that seat, yeah, right? Who, we want to argue about it, right? Maybe it goes back to the unity and the focusing on the differences. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, I, I guess linearly I would go to, if, if Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, then, then that... Then Who's that's, sitting on his father's lap. Then that seat of God, right, is occupied and somebody's on his lap. Um, but, but, you know, probably it's... It it, it it's probably plays out different than that. And maybe there is right and left side... Um, so, but um, I, you know, I I just I just think that um, individuals could take the the confession of faith, and they could look at that over a period of of time, and use it devotionally, and mm-hmm. and read those phrases in light of their biblical knowledge, in light of their biblical understanding, and say, okay, what does that mean? Because a creed a creed can can in some ways just we can allow it to target our head yeah how can we allow it to target our heart yeah and i don't yeah. want us just to be about right thinking yes I, I i want i want us to read the the confession of faith in such a way that yes i know what i believe and this is what it means to my core. Yes. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, that Jesus will return. Well, if Jesus is going to return, in light of the way I'm living my life today, what does that mean? What does that mean right, right? now? Right? So yeah. I, think there's, I think there's a lot of devotional power available yep. in our confession of faith if yeah. we're willing to read it at that level. Yeah. Well, thanks for... Joining me, Todd, again to talk about yeah. this core value of adherence to the confession of faith. I know I learned a lot in this conversation, uh, just hearing some of the history and hearing where this came from and how it was put together. Our next episode, we're going to talk about respect, respecting unity amidst diversity, which is core value number two. Stay tuned. <laughs>